Happy Friday. It's once again time for the magnificent opus that is Nip Talk. We got some great segments today. We're going to talk about the fentanyl crisis in America. It's getting pretty bad, and we got some information that might save a life. Next, we're going to talk about the TikTok famous plastic surgeon who got her license suspended for the stuff that she was putting on social media. Pretty crazy. Finally, I'm going to tell some stories about when I was a surgical resident, and that's all coming up right now. Live from Lincoln Center in the heart of the Dallas Metroplex, this is Nip Talk. An honest and uncensored show about plastic surgery, health, beauty, and lifestyle. With your host, plastic surgeon Dr. Bruce Herman, and your co-host, entrepreneur and social media influencer Sarah Bennett. Now it's time to discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly of the topics everyone is talking about. It's time for Nip Talk. Welcome back, everybody. I'm your host, plastic surgeon Dr. Bruce Herman. With me, co-host Sarah Bennett, as always. And in the box is the man, the legend, Travis. What's up, my dude? Hey, what's happening? Good morning. Hey, good morning. So, Sarah, we what's talked up? about last week that I was gonna like, you know, I know actually you're wear normal fancy clothes today. So, so being the fashion expert, yeah, tell you me are, about it. Oh, you want me to tell you about? Yeah, it? Okay. I want you to so, tell me. I mean, I I feel like I do have like a style. It may not be like you know. Great style, but I have a style. There's a, there's, there's a method to this madness, okay? Mm -hmm. So uh, first off, um, I like to do like a jacket, you know? Like to me, like a jacket's kind of a statement piece. And so I have several jackets that I like to wear. This is one of my favorite ones here. I like it a lot. Oh, thanks. Yeah, this actually is Dolce jacket, which I, I really like. Um, then I like to do like button downs. This actually is uh, John Varvatos, which I'm a big... I don't know. That is. Oh, you know John Varvatos? Oh. No, I don't. He's do a big, really. Uh, big he's kind of a, a little bit newer American fashion. designer. Yeah, I really like him. Yeah. And then I like to do band tees. That's a good one. Especially vintage it ones. It matches really well. Well, yeah, definitely. So I, I get the band tee to match whatever the the print is on my, you know, on my. It looks good. On my. It's thanks. Very, yeah. It's and I'm a kind of a jean snob. Thought. I only wear seven jeans. Yeah, you've told me that before. I, a, I don't know. I just they fit me really well. And they do. Forever. And I always like to wear glasses. So, like, I'm that guy that wears. Those are your fancy ones you got on your trip, though. They are. Yeah, yeah you're so right. So, I have, like, a huge collection of sunglasses, which I kind of like to match, like, the kind of feel of the outfit. You know, vintage shirt. These look a little bit, you know, kind of 90-ish, like, yeah. the small round. So, but anyway. I like it. Not bad? 10 out of 10. Oh, come on. 10 out of 10. All right. Well, I guess I'll take it. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, honestly, like I was looking at it on the camera, like, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, nice change from the scrubs. Yeah. I might start mixing it up. You but should. I know, like, I feel like if somebody just like randomly saw me, they're like, oh, he's just, you know, some dude. But like when you wear the scrubs, it's like, it's almost like a uniform, you know, like it gives you that authority, even though it's really just pajamas. They, they are kind of like pajamas. Dude, they're exactly like pajamas. They look comfortable. They're very comfortable. You know the problem with scrubs, though, and we joke about this, like, when we were, you know, med students and also, like, in residency. Because, you know, like, when you're doing those things, like, you're working a lot of hours and you're eating, like, crap, right? Because mm -hmm. you're eating food at the hospital you don't have time to work out. The problem with scrubs is, like, the, like, the waistline is adjustable. So, like, you know, with my jeans here, if I put on a couple pounds, like, I start to feel it. Yeah, and so it's like, like a... It's like a warning, yeah. right? Yeah, but with scrubs, no. Like, yeah. you can just kind of, like, gradually, like, expand, expand in scrubs. You can get the COVID-19, 20, 30, or 40 with those on. Oh, my goodness. So you got to be careful. But, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I like, I, you know, I used to wear, like, um, like suits when I would, you know, do my office and stuff. 
I don't know. I mean, one, it's just kind of a hassle to get dressed up. Two, I don't think people care what I wear. I mean, they probably don't want me wearing like sweatpants and flip-flops, but... Yeah, I think as long as you're wearing your scrubs. Yeah, I mean, scrubs. And, and I was, I'm not a white coat guy. A lot of doctors still wear white coats, which I have a couple problems with white coats. One, they're e very easy to get dirty. I mean, how do you keep something white clean? You, know? you bleach it. I mean, you can. I don't know. But the other problem is, like, I feel like wearing a white coat, it's almost like too much, you know? Like, people see a white coat and, like, maybe it puts them on garden, you know, a mm -hmm. little bit. And so, yeah, as soon as I got out of, like, residency training and was like, you know, like a real doctor, I ditched my white coat. So yeah, I just wear the scrubs around the office. I don't know, it's not like super, super chic, like a suit, but. I don't think it matters. I don't think it does either, honestly. I mean, you know, I mean, people aren't coming to you for what you wear. They, you know, they want a good doctor and somebody that does good surgery. And yeah, whatnot, so. I agree. Anyway. I don't know, Travis, what do you think? Scrubs or suit? What should I wear? Um, I would say scrubs. If I if I came to a doctor's office and he had a suit on, I'd probably be like, yeah, nah, I'm, I'm really? going to go somewhere else. You think <laughs> yeah. the suit would turn you off a little bit? Just a little bit, just because I feel like he, like, if let's say I had a heart attack right now. Can you, like, save me in a suit? You know what I'm saying? It'd be like, harder, right? It would be much harder to move around and maneuver. Well, if you're I think... Suit. I think most of the time, like, I've been to doctor's offices where they're, like, wearing slacks and, like, a button-up and a tie, and then they wear their white coat over it. Yeah. That's I, usually how doctors do. I feel do. like those are just, like, um, like consultations and stuff. Like, you're yeah. not actually doing, like, a procedure. Right, yeah, <laughs> with yeah. It. No, you would. Well, and that was a problem when I was wearing, you know, um, like, really nice clothes in the office. I mean, Because you know, you'd always have to like, change into scrubs to go to surgery and then change well, Yeah, you definitely have to do that. Out. But sometimes, you know... You'll have patients that are post-op and like they might have like if it's a tummy tuck they might have a drain and you get like the drain fluid on your nice yeah. suit yeah i mean i had that happen a time or two or i like got blood on something i was just like uh yeah anyway i wore that stuff though for a few years before i swapped to scrubs but. yeah i feel like you i mean i feel like that's just part of it yeah you just had to find your groove yeah i mean there are still a lot of people that they get all dressed up i, I I don't, maybe they like maybe it. Maybe that's, I think I, whenever I think of a doctor with a suit, like a slacks and like the white coat, I think of like a, um, a family doctor. Yeah? Yeah. So you think being like a specialist, you can like maybe dress down a little bit? Yeah, you do what you want. You're a rebel. That's right. See, I feel like that that's part of it too. It's like, yeah, I'm just going to do what I want. I do what I want. I'm not going to wear a suit. I'm not going to wear a white coat. That's right. <laughs> that's how we roll. That's right. All right. Well, anyway, well, I'm glad you like my outfit. Yes, like, um, I appreciate But yeah, this is how I like usually go. Like, I mean, I have like different variations of it, but you know, yeah, different jeans. I mean, like, I've seen you dress outside of. Yeah, we have like. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We have. I keep forgetting. We, we but I've never seen you wear that jacket. I like. Oh it really? A lot. Oh yeah. thanks. Yeah, I actually do really like this one. Um, yeah, I have one that I'm looking at right now that I'm I'm thinking about getting for New Year's Eve, and if I get, it, I'm gonna have to like send you some pictures because. I just don't know. I, I don't know. I'm kind of, honestly, I'm a little bit of a cheapskate. I mean, this is a nice jacket. It wasn't super cheap, but like, I mean, I don't go buy stuff like this all the time. Like I've had this probably for five or six years, but like, you know, it's kind of timeless. It doesn't really no, yeah, you know, age is. or whatever, but like, I don't know. I always feel bad when I spend money on clothes. I don't know. I don't. We I mean, don't, I, I, we I, don't have that in common. I do it anyway, but like, I just don't, you know, I know I'm not like, you know, I hate to like waste money. I don't yeah. know. It's weird. I mean, yeah. I guess it's not weird, but. I, I mean, I'm gonna let you know though. I'm really, I'm eyeing this jacket. I don't want to spoil the surprise. Well, it's a statement piece. Well, then maybe you should just buy it and then show up, show up here with it on. Oh, I, I don't even think I can wear it on air. It's like too much. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll keep you posted. <laughs> All right. Let's roll into some segments. Okay. So, 
Um, of course, you know, I always like kind of get segments based on like what I see in the news. Mm -hmm. And so I saw a, new, a news article today and it's something that actually has been like an increasing problem. And that's actually, did, I mean, did you guys know that there's a crisis with fentanyl in the United States? Or do you guys even know what fentanyl, let me ask, do you know what fentanyl is? I've heard of it. You've uh, heard of it. Travis, yeah. do you know about it? Yeah, I know there's an epidemic or like, you know, going on with like uh, people addicted to uh, I guess like pills, basically, and then yes. they have the fentanyl in the pills. Yeah, that's so that's exactly right. So, uh, and I'm going to talk about a little bit more detail, but f think of fentanyl as like a pain medicine. Okay? okay. So, like, fentanyl actually, like the original use of it, we use it in surgery literally all the time. We use it to uh, make patients that are under anesthesia and having surgery have, have their pain controlled. It's an amazing painkiller. It's, it's usually given IV, and so... Like when this all started like six or eight years ago and I heard about like this fentanyl problem, I was a little confused, honestly, because I was thinking of like the fentanyl that we have in surgery, which is like an IV medication. I keep thinking fentanyl. Yeah, Is that fentanyl. the same thing? Yeah, fentanyl. I don't know. Okay. Potato, potato. How do you say it? Fentanyl? Yeah, I pronounce it fentanyl too. But I mean, it, I, no, you, it's you're fentanyl. the doctor. Yeah, yeah it's fentanyl. <laughs> you're the it's doctor. It's not gnaw, it's, it's nil, fentanyl. Yeah. I'm yeah, like, is that the same thing? I don't know. You might be thinking of something different. I'm not sure. No, so it is. It's the same thing. It's just we've been pronouncing it wrong in the public and the doctors pronounce it a different way. Well, I mean, yeah. I guess maybe I've, I don't think I've been pronouncing it. It's fentanyl, right? Well, no, no, no. So when I say we, I mean like the public has been oh, pronouncing public. it wrong. And a, then a doctors. Civilians. Yeah, a civilian. civilians have been pronouncing it wrong. Doctors pronounce it correctly. So uh, anyway, I do want to roll the story. I don't know if you guys saw this because um, it's kind of a little bit, you know, fright. I mean, not like a scary, but like, I don't know, just roll the clip. Roll the video. Roll. Did you get a warrant? After Officer Bannock got two doses of Narcan, the life-saving drug that reverses the effects of opioid overdoses, she lost consciousness again. Hey. Breathe. Come on, breathe. Hit her again. Rodney, she's not breathing. Hit her again. Is he out again? Yes. There you go. About to you kid your nose, girl. You gotta get up. Pretty crazy stuff, right? Yeah. Why was she? How how did she get it? So the story to that? is that she pulled over a vehicle, and per the reports, there was loose fentanyl on something that she came into contact with. So like a powder? Yeah, supposedly. Okay. Yeah, supposedly a powder. Um, and it wasn't sure if it was like fentanyl or one of the derivatives. And I'm going to go over that kind of in a bit, like what that means. But I mean, it's pretty crazy that you know that lady or that officer. You know, just from an exposure like that is, you know, more or less incapacitated. Yeah, you know? she literally almost died. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were giving her Narcan, which is a reversal <laughs> agent, and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about that in a minute. But I just want to talk about some of like the information about this, because I mean, to be totally honest, like until I started doing the research for this, I didn't kind of realize how how bad it was. Although I will say, like, I have an acquaintance uh, of ours that. We knew in our town that died of a fentanyl overdose earlier this year. And um, so that's another reason why when I saw this, I was like, okay, maybe we should talk about this. I mean, you know, it wasn't like a, like a friend of mine, but it was like an acquaintance, somebody that, you know, did some work for us. And like, you know, we called him up one day and was, 
And uh, his family's like, yeah, he, he died of a fentanyl overdose. And we're like, whoa, that's just crazy. Because it wasn't something expected, right? Like, it, it wasn't somebody, you know, you necessarily would have thought. Yeah. Is it, so is this like a pill form or is it like, yeah, you so, can make it into other things like. Uh, so it mostly comes in, in pill forms or powders. I mean, there's a lot of ways that you can ingest it. Did they and like so, put it in like other drugs? Too. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that. Yeah, that's really good. So, uh, so I started doing Yikes. research about uh, this, and it's actually a really big problem. And throw up that first graph if you would. So, this is just a graph showing the annual drug overdose deaths of just all all drugs. Okay, uh, and you can see that in the past like ten years, we've seen a steady increase in that. Um, and you know, now in this day and age. Uh, 2022, that number is up to about 110,000 because I think the last year there was 2020. So 110,000 deaths. And of that, about 75,000 of those are either fentanyl or one of its derivatives. Like, I mean, that's a huge, huge number. That's crazy. I mean, in fact, there's more deaths from fentanyl in the United States than there are from gunshots and car crashes combined. I wonder, I wonder if it's like the increased because of just the increase of communication capabilities like they can just send like a text to some random person and be like i mean it certainly makes it easier transportation I mean, I mean, without question that does play like i mean technology makes everything easier yeah because now well it's like like illicit activities yeah, yeah. i feel so, like that's crazy in the past eight years we've really seen a huge spike in fentanyl uh throw up that next uh chart would you uh Travis? So that line, so this is deaths, and in each one of those is a different drug. The line that's going crazy, that's fentanyl. So you see in like 2015, it was like really kind of low and at the bottom, and then all of a sudden it started spiking up. Yeah. Um, uh, it's actually rising obviously much faster than anything else, but what we're seeing is that other drugs are actually going down. So flip over to the next uh, one, which is prescription drug overdose or prescription uh, drug overdoses. So you see like in the 2000s, like the amount of people dying from prescription drugs. So that'd be like, you know, oxycodone or MS-Cotton or those kind of things mm -hmm. was steadily rising. But then what happened is we realized that there was like an opioid crisis from prescription drugs and a lot more restrictions came on. And you see that around 2011, that number, that percentage started to go back down. Um, but what happened is, as fentanyl came onto the market, then that yellow line, which is fentanyl plus opioid or prescription drugs, started to go up. And the last one is actually heroin. Can you throw that one up? So this is overdose, overdose deaths involving heroin. So it's interesting. The blue line is actually heroin deaths, and you see it's going up, 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 and then all of a sudden it starts to go down right about the time that fentanyl comes out. And the yellow line is combination fentanyl and heroin. But it's interesting Gross. that this this has become such a problem that other causes of death, which were on the rise, suddenly bottomed out because suddenly everyone was dying from fentanyl. So in the last year, so in 2021, the Drug Enforcement Agency seized 15,000 pounds of fentanyl in the US with a street value of 136 billion with a B dollars. Where was that? Huh? Where was that? All over. That's, oh. uh, that's a collection of all of the Oh, okay. DEA seizure, 15,000 pounds. What is that? Seven and a half tons. So I actually have one question for you guys. So, uh, all right. So how many people could 15,000 pounds of fentanyl kill? 
Could it kill the DFW Metroplex of 7 million, Texas 30 million, the USA 330 million, or half the world with 3.5 billion? <laughs> All right, who wants to go first? Ooh, okay, I'll go first. All right, Travis, what do you think? Um, so I will say uh, B. All right, could kill 30 million. How much could 15,000 pounds of fentanyl kill, Sarah? Uh, C. <laughs> 330 million. Okay, the answer is actually 3.5 billion. Ah, dang. And you know, that's what I, th I was thinking that because that the cop, she just got like a the, random exposure. Yes. It wasn't just like she went in somebody's car and was like, that's a powder, I'm going to snort it. Yep. She probably just right. was like well, rummaging around trying to find something that yeah. she needed to find. So there's like a lot of face. like debate on like what happened to her because like, you know, you saw that picture of the pills I threw up like in the bags. Like, I mean, if you like hold one of those pills in your hand, like you're going to be okay. I mean, you know, what happened to her is, is a little bit unusual. And if, if, if I had to speculate, and of course I'm, I'm not there, it hasn't been said what exactly happened, but I would guess that it was in a powder form and somehow it got on her mucous she, membranes. She like, touched her yeah. face, her eyes, right. something. Yes, that's, I, that's, that probably is what happened because the absorption through your mucous membranes, like so your mouth or your nose, uh, is 30 times higher than it is through your skin. Yeah. You can absorb that stuff through your skin. In fact, they make fentanyl patches for medical use. Um, so it can be absorbed through the skin, but it's pretty slow. Yeah. But the other thing that could have happened is there are some derivatives of fentanyl that are extremely more potent than even fentanyl. And so the purpose of the question was to kind of show you that the, the lethal dose of fentanyl is very tiny. It's two, two milligrams. So like 15,000 pounds could literally kill like, you know, billions and billions of people. So I guess one of the questions that kind of pops up, you know, is why is fentanyl sudden? It was like, you know, it was an unheard of drug 10 years ago and now suddenly there's this huge epidemic and and people might ask well why is that well the first thing uh, about why fentanyl has gotten so popular is purely how potent it is like it is a very very potent narcotic so let's throw up that uh, next uh, graph that i have there all right so this is a graph of opioids so opioids are like painkillers right so everyone's heard of morphine that's what we use commonly in the hospital um, so if you assign morphine a potency of one, then heroin, you know, common street drug, especially in, you know, 80s, 90s, or whatever, is twice as potent as morphine. That's pretty strong. Fentanyl is 100 times as strong as morphine. So fentanyl is 50 times stronger than heroin. Sufentanil, which is a derivative of fentanyl, is 500 times stronger than morphine. And carfentanil is 10,000 times stronger. So these are some very, very potent drugs with lethal doses that are, can be as small as like a half a grain of salt. So the police are reporting that substances like sufentanil and carfentanil, which are the very, very strong derivatives, are showing up on the streets. So it's possible that police officer was exposed to something like carfentanil where something the size of half a grain of salt could potentially be a lethal dose. Well, what was this drug created for? It's created, it was created initially for pain, pain. yeah, for pain control. Well, carfentanil, honestly, was I- Was there I, like a certain disease it was for, just like oh, chronic just like pain or something? Pain. Okay. Yeah, it, well, the nice thing about it is you can use very, very tiny doses. So like in the OR, if you're under, if you're under anesthesia and I'm doing surgery on you, they'll give you like 25 micrograms. So micro is a millionth of a gram. Yeah. Um, lethal dose is around two milligrams. So yeah. like, you know, that's a pretty, pretty small dose. Yeah. Which is nice. You can use just a small amount of it. It's a very effective painkiller, but it 
because it's so potent, it has a high potential for abuse. And also that makes it extremely addictive. These drugs that are very potent have like a huge amount of dependence. Like you, you take it and you're physically addicted to it. So that's one of the reasons that we're seeing like a rise. And you said it the, earlier. What'd you say about, you remember? About being at laced with other drugs. Oh yeah. 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 They're doing that. So the cartel. So the, where this fentanyl is coming from, because when I first learned about the fentanyl crisis, like, well, that's so weird. How are people stealing fentanyl from hospitals? Because that's the only place that, you know, I really it. knew that it existed. Well, I mean, that's extremely naive. That's not at all what's happening. Like what's happening is like China is a huge, huge producer of, of fentanyl, as well as the precursor products. India also creates a lot of it and they sell it directly to Mexico where the cartels get it. And then if it's fentanyl pills, then they just, you know, smuggle it over. Or if it's precursors, they create their own fentanyl. But also what they're doing is they're lacing that fentanyl in other drugs, such as, you know, oxycodone pills, which, you know, is a common street drug that people buy, uh, cocaine, heroin. And, you know, the, the idea behind it, you might think, well, I always thought, why would someone do that? Like, why would you waste a drug? Well, it's because it, it's, it, it's so addictive. You know, if you sell somebody a pill they think's oxycodone and it's really fentanyl, they're much, much more likely to want to come back and buy more. Yeah, so it's kind of like just like putting caffeine and... Right, yeah. But the problem is that it makes it extremely dangerous. Yeah. I mean, as you can see, like the dosages of this stuff are really low that can kill people. So there's very little margin for error. And, you know, and I mean, I'm sure that like the cartels actually probably have some pretty nice labs, but I mean, it's not like Pfizer or somebody, you know, concocting these yeah, you know things not. i mean it could be like all over the board so um scary. the other thing is that it's actually really cheap like it's not expensive to make it they were uh, uh, when i was reading it, it says it costs about thirty thousand dollars to make uh, a kilogram of fentanyl and the street value of that is 32 million dollars yeah what is it derived from? I know like there's a lots of drugs that are like derived from certain things. I mean, to be honest, I'm not sure what the initial precursor is. I mean, things like heroin are derived from poppies, yeah. which you don't you don't use poppies. This is a purely a synthetic drug. Oh, so it's just lab created. Yeah, it's lab created. It's not like, you know, when they make heroin, they actually grind the poppies and then they take the poppy milk and I, I don't know what they do with it. They bake it or whatever and and then there's heroin, right? This is not that. Like they, yeah. this is literally lab created. So they either buy it directly from China or they buy the, buy the precursors from China. Okay. Was heroin ever used for medical use? I mean, maybe like a hundred years ago. I mean, cocaine was actually used. Heck, even like when I was, like in my early years, we still used cocaine for uh, when we do nasal surgery. We'd get cocaine, liquid cocaine, and <laughs> and put swabs and put up their nose because it constricts the blood vessels. Yeah. That is insane. But they're like out, so like they're not getting like high from it. I yeah. think now we don't, I don't think you can use that anymore. Yeah. I don't do as much nasal surgery as I used to, but, but anyway, so, huh? So that's is all so intense. Yeah. Okay. So why, so why are we talking about this? You know, I mean, one, I think it's important that people know about it. I mean, yeah. you know, it is a problem. It's a huge problem. As I said, more deaths from fentanyl than from car crashes and gunshots. That's a huge problem. But, you know, I think that one of the things that this segment can do is potentially educate people on, you know, maybe they, one, know that it's out there, so they might be on the lookout for, like, a, a family member, you know, a friend, and, and if they were having an opioid overdose, that they might be able to recognize it. So we're going to go over, like, what the symptoms of, of a fentanyl overdose would be. Okay. So you saw the girl on the, on the show, or the show, the, the news segment. 
Um, she was basically unresponsive. You know, yeah, she looked like she was like in a trance. Yeah, she's like unconscious, unresponsive, eyes open. That's a pretty classic like appearance of somebody who's overdosing on, on opioids. And I use opioid and fentanyl kind of interchangeably because it could be fentanyl, it could be heroin, it could be, you know, sufentanyl or one of the derivatives. Um, the other thing is that the breathing slows down dramatically. I don't, if you really go back and look at that video, so if you're, if you're watching this at home, you might flip back to that video. In that very first video, she had what, what I call agonal breathing, where she wasn't really breathing, but then she would take a breath because she gets like this huge respiratory drive. And then the second part, she, they, they said she wasn't breathing at all. Mm -hmm. That's pretty classic for opioid overdoses. Like your breathing slows down to a point and eventually it stops and that's you know, how you die. Uh, the other thing is pale and cold skin because your, your circulatory system starts to shut down so you don't have like uh, blood flow all the way yeah. to your skin. It's I could tell in her lips. Yeah, cyanosis. So that's, that's called cyanosis where your lips are like blue. Also, you can see it in your fingertips. Um, vomiting is the other thing. Like uh, opioids tend to make people super nauseous and so they might throw up, which is another way that people die. Did you ever watch Breaking Bad? Oh, did you watch Breaking Bad, Travis? I do not. I've, oh I've, my I've never God. seen. Guys, crushing me. <laughs> I've never seen. So Breaking in Breaking Bad. Bad, one of the one of the big scenes was one of the characters' girlfriends overdoses on heroin, and she vomits, and then she aspirates that, and she dies. And the mm. other character sees it. He doesn't do anything. So that's like the big, you know, he basically let her die or whatever. But oh. but vomiting with opioids is a thing. Um, yeah. The other thing is pinpoint pupils. So people on opioids, so like, you know how your pupils, like the black part of your eye? Yeah. Like if you take like stimulants, they tend to get super dilated. But if you take opioids, they turn into pinpoints, like almost like just like little dots. Right. So knowing those symptoms, like if you're, you know, out and about in the community, like you could potentially recognize somebody. You see somebody on the ground, you can't wake them up. They're cold. Their lips are blue. I mean, it, it, it could be potentially an opioid overdose. And so it's okay, what do you do, right? So let's say we're out, you know, some, somewhere, you see somebody down, you know, you think there might be an opioid, what to do? So the first thing you wanna do is you, you wanna to try to arouse them. You want them to try to breathe on their own. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a thing called a sternal rub, which, I mean, I'm not gonna do it to anyone. I, I don't wanna <laughs> make them close. I know what it is. Mic. Yeah, you basically get your fist and you rub really hard, like right in the center of somebody's chest. It's super irritating. Mm -hmm. So we do that in medicine for people that are kind of out of it because it, it tends to wake them back up. So you, you try to arouse them with a sternal rub and, and say things like, listen, if you don't wake up, I'm gonna call 911, right? And that would be the next thing is to actually call 911. If somebody's down, they're unresponsive, then you need help, you need to get, you need to get EMS there. So calling 911 is important. Next thing would be like checking their breathing. You know, it's pretty easy to see if someone's breathing. Um, if they're not breathing, then you would want to start rescue breathing. Mm -hmm. um, so the number of breaths you want to give them is basically 10 to 12 per minute. So, you know, every five seconds, roughly. Um, the last thing is Narcan. So you saw those, those police officers giving her a squirt up her nose. Did, did you guys notice that yes. in the video? Yeah. So that's Narcan. Basically, Narcan is a drug which reverses the, the actions of opioids. And it works very, very quickly. And you could almost see, like, they gave it to her, and, like, within, you know, 10 seconds, she kind of started to wake yeah, up. Yeah, her eyes were, like, blinking, and, you can and she actually, started moving her head. Yeah, started moving. You can actually get Narcan at pharmacies now. Like, it's a thing. And so it's not super cheap, although I've heard that there are places you can get it for free. Um, but I actually may start, um, like, carrying some Narcan around just, just because, you know... Like if someone's about to die from a, from a fentanyl overdose and you give them Narcan, you're literally going to save their life. Like, I mean, it's basically like 
flipping the switch from that person's going to die, that person's going to live. Right. And so, you know, uh, if you know people that are at risk, it might be something good to, to have around your house. Uh, lastly would be the recovery position. So recovery position is having a person be on their side. In case they vomit, you want them to be able to get that vomit out of their airways. It's so like they... partying 101. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Somebody's... We're dating ourselves. Like, like, oh man, our friends passed out. Yeah, Turn them on the side. Like, home. we know this stuff. Like, this is like, we learned this from the streets. Yeah. I know. I'm, yeah. Except I don't even know what fentanyl <laughs> Well, yeah, that's true. But yeah, I mean, fentanyl I'm not like, that straight. It's like a new thing. Like, I mean, even, I mean, I know what fentanyl is. We use it like literally every day in surgery. Well, but yeah. Like, but I didn't realize the severity and the depth of this fentanyl crisis. Like, it's, it's a problem. Like, yeah. I mean, a lot See, of. See, now people, you're saying fentanyl instead of fentanyl. I don't know, potato, <laughs> potato, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's something to be aware of. So, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, the best thing about this segment educates people, lets people know what symptoms might be and gives them some idea of what to do. Obviously calling 911 is probably the most important thing, you know, if, um, if you think someone's having an overdose. But I mean, the things that you do before 911 or EMS gets there can literally save a life. Yeah. So, all right, fentanyl crisis. Scary stuff. Bad stuff, all right. So we're gonna do a NipTuck 911. So I wasn't gonna like talk about this, but like some new information came out and, and I just, I have to talk about it. So there's this doctor that was a plastic surgeon, uh, like a legit plastic surgeon, pretty famous on TikTok. She had a little under 900,000 followers, which, you know, I think I'm sitting at like 155. So definitely, you know, bigger than I am uh, on TikTok. And um, she uh, got her license suspended yeah, it's bad. And I didn't know a whole lot about it at first. I was like, you know, I don't want to like, I don't want to make a big deal or like, you know, dramatize someone's problems, right? Like if there wasn't anything to learn about it, like I wasn't going to bring it up. But then some new stuff came out, which I do think is worth talking about because mm -hmm. potentially it could help patients like avoid, you know, a similar circumstance. So um, I have a little bit of video, like, why don't you roll that video from the news station? The board also found concerns with the doctor's repeated use of social media. Records state by taking video of procedures, the doctor's focus was on the camera, not the patient. Board members saying, quote, Dr. Growey's continued practice presents a danger of immediate and serious harm to the public. Yeah, pretty that's a pretty bold statement, right? The public harm, like, so when I saw that come out, I was like, man, I have to dig into this. Cause at first I just heard she got, you know, her license suspended, which is not common. I mean, medical board, state medical. So that means her state medical board. I think she's in Ohio, suspend her license. Like that's, that's kind of a big deal. Like they don't just suspend people's license for no reason. Right. Um, but then when I saw that, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to dig into this and see. And so one of the things that she was famous for was live streaming surgery. And so I got a little clip of her talking about it. <laughs> Throw that. Do we live stream surgery? It's Dr. Roxy. Let me give you the scoop. We do. We show our surgeries every single day on Snapchat. Patients get to decide if they want to be part of it. And if you do, you can watch your own surgery. I do this because it's sort of fun to see what's going on back there. <laughs> I don't know. That, <laughs> I would not want to see my own surgery. I remember when I had <laughs> a C-section, uh -huh. my, my husband at the time was videoing it uh -huh. and he was like, do you want to see the video? And I was like, um, no, I'm a hard pass. I don't want to see my intestines being pulled out. Thank you though. <laughs> so, I mean, some people like to see, you know, their surgeries. Some people don't care, but then other people want to see their surgeries. Yeah. So she was live streaming surgeries, which 
I mean, I have to say that's a bold move. It's something that like I've thought about doing, but I just never have because there's like some potential issues with doing that. You know, like Dr. Miami was, have you guys heard of Dr. Miami? Mm -hmm. Okay, so Travis knows Miami. So he's a, he's a like a, probably the most famous social media plastic surgeon. Um, he was doing that on Snapchat like long before this girl. And uh, anyway, so I'd, I'd seen her videos on TikTok and like, I don't know, like, I mean, for me, they were just a little bit too much. Like, I mean, I, I granted, like firing a breast implant out of a cannon is probably not the most professional thing ever. But like, I mean, it's I don't but know. But you're not uh, potentially putting a patient. Well, true, in right? But like, some of hers were like really silly. Like, roll that next clip. Like, I just don't do that stuff on my videos. I mean, I mean, I'll like beat up implants, but like, I don't know. It just was too much for me. So I never was like a huge fan of hers. Like just, I don't know, just I, some about her videos just turned me off. But um, the, uh, the surprising part, right? So I'm getting to the surprising part, right? Mm -hmm. So she was suspended. Then of course, like once that happened, which is pretty common, a lot of people started coming out of the woodwork saying, oh, you know, Dr. Roxy like botched my surgery. And, you know, I kind of flipped through some of them and like some of them were like, like normal complication stuff, you know, like it's kind of annoying as a surgeon when, when people have like an, ex not expected complication, but a known complication, They're like, oh, I was botched. Well, no, I mean, there are certain things. And I, like, for me, I always talk about like, you know, like breast implants and capsular contracture. I mean, it's just one of those things. Tummy tucks and healing issues on the incision. It's just one of those things. And so some of the people coming out, you know, talking you know, bad about her, I mean, maybe didn't have legit things, but then I saw some of the stuff that, that actually was legit. And so what came out was that she had at least two patients that when she was doing liposuction, she perforated their intestines. And we've talked about that. I, I, it was, um, remember Hank Williams Jr.'s wife, wife. Mm. died from that. W were you here for that episode or was mm -hmm. that right before you got here? I don't remember. <laughs> We've done so many episodes now. So Hank Williams Jr.'s wife literally died from that exact thing. Um, so when you do liposuction, you know it's like a cannula, like a, a hollow rod, and it actually went too deep and got on, the, on their inside, like in their, in, well, for her it was her lung, but in these patients it got their intestines and actually perforated their intestines. And the, the worst part, like, I mean, let me just tell you that that complication is like the biggest fear of anyone doing liposuction. However, it should be exceedingly rare to the point that the majority of plastic surgeons never have it happen in their career. Like it just, it shouldn't, it shouldn't happen if you're paying attention, being safe, it shouldn't happen. Now, could it happen? Could it happen to me? Yes, it could. I mean, it never has, but it could happen. But the problem was is those two patients that happened to, she was live streaming the surgery and the complaint is, is that she wasn't paying attention. So roll that next video. Full out conversation. Right, so I saw that video and like, as a plastic surgeon, that video gives me chills because she's liposuctioning someone's neck in that video. And you can even hear her talking about, oh, there's some very critical structures here that we don't wanna like, you know, injure. While she's looking away and, and very forcefully doing liposuction, like, so liposuction, That's you know. Scary. 
Like, I mean, I, when I do it, like, I'm, I am I mean, you have to put some pressure on it, but, like, I... And there's, like, some finesse to There's it. some finesse you to it, and, like, to, like, like her, jabbing. the way she was jabbing to me is reckless. Like, I mean, that's super, super aggressive, especially in the neck, like, where if you go too deep, like, you're literally gonna... There's a huge-ass artery right here. Yeah, you're gonna kill that patient, like, within a minute if, like, you get too deep. And, I, and that wasn't a patient that had a problem. That patient did fine. But, like, for her to be looking away from what she's doing and talking and being that aggressive, like, I have huge problems with that. Like, yeah. I mean, and obviously it didn't work out because, you know, she had two patients that had bowel perforations from, um, from her doing exactly that. And so that's why they pulled her license. And I think justifiably so, given, given that. Like, I'm kind of lukewarm on live streaming surgery. I think it can be done safely, but that's not it. And then the yeah. other big complaint that, that they had against them, which um, I really have a problem with, is apparently her and her office were telling her patients when the, her patients were concerned and said, I want to go to the ER. They said, no, don't do that. Don't go to the ER. They're not going to do anything for you. And I, I, I do have a huge problem with that. And I tell this to my, my nurse in my office, and, and if she was here, she'd say the exact same thing. If a patient tells you they want to go to the ER, you tell them to go. If it's so concerning to you that you want to get in your car and go to the emergency room, even if I don't think that it's probably a problem, that patient should go to the ER. And, and so she had patients where they had these you know, issues and her office told them not to go. And then they went anyway and they had like these life-threatening issues. And so you know, that's just another reason why I, I feel like that this is absolutely a justifiable suspension. So um, yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, I, you know, once again, I don't want to kick people when they're down, yeah. but I mean, you know, people like that that do stuff are not good for us as a profession, as plastic yeah. surgeons. It, like it sounds like she just got too caught up in that life. I that think you're was, right. I mean, I really she's do. She's too focused on like fame instead of yeah. her and And you know, her, and, and someone might skill. look at me and be like, oh, well, this guy's, you know, doing the same thing. Well, I mean, no, because like, you know, there's a time for being the talk show host and there's a time for, you know, doing my social media stuff. But that's not like when I'm doing something that. And I think a lot of the content that you post, like, is for like educational. You know what I'm saying? Like, you give right, yeah. medical facts behind things. You have a reason for why you are actually doing certain things. It's not just you um, like dance dancing on. a Meg the style. Yeah, you're not doing like ER TikTok room. dances. Yeah, like, I refuse to do. It's not in your surgery. Nobody room. wants to see me dance. And now, listen, I'm a good dancer. Like I grew up in the <laughs> '90s, man, in the club scene. I can dance, but I'm not doing it for social. I didn't say. Sure, sure, I didn't sure, say sure, nobody sure. wants to see it. I, I just Sarah, said you don't post. It. We're having to dance off sometime. <laughs> I, I can't dance. Oh, you can't? I mean, I can, but it takes liquid courage. <laughs> we can arrange that. <laughs> All right, so uh, I guess next is what's going to happen to Dr. Roxy, right? Her license suspended. So she has a hearing in May of next year, which means, like, for the next six months, she's out of business. Couldn't and she, like, go somewhere else? Can she, like, move? Go to another there's state? no way she could get a license. With, when she's under investigation, she couldn't get a license. Not in the um, United States. No, that's impossible. Well, I guess she's going to have to uh, make some more TikToks. She'll no, all of her. So she went dark. So oh. I wanted to go get some of her other videos because, like, there's some ones that are, like, pretty bad, but she went dark. Like all of her stuff is like down right now, like on social media, all of it, like her TikTok, Instagram, Insta, yeah. YouTube, all of it. Yeah. Nice. Um, I personally think, I mean, I don't know this. I personally think she's in big trouble. Like, I mean, as far as like her career, you know, I mean, this one's going to be hard to bounce back from. I mean, I don't know. We'll see what happens. We'll have to do a follow-up next year. 
Yeah, well, that's the thing with social media. It's like you get on it and you let people in yeah. to your right. that zone. It's yeah. like you have to expect that like people are watching you now. Mm -hmm. You have to like understand. I mean, yeah. That. I mean, I feel that to a certain you know yeah. degree a little bit. I mean, I. I'm, I don't know. I don't. You, I didn't opened, dive in yeah. like she did. I know, but you're not doing anything that's like inappropriate. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's you true. let you open that door, people will bust it open. Oh yeah. So you know that. I mean, I know. Yeah. Being a social media star. <laughs> people that you try are. to. People. That's why I'm. I'm actually really private about most of my personal life. Yeah. Like I don't really. Well, plus you know, especially you know, I mean, I hate to say like being a woman, but I mean, there is that truth to it. I mean. Yeah. Somebody comes like mess with me in my house, like that's gonna be a problem for them. But like you know, as because you, you, you live by yourself, right? You and mm -hmm. your daughter. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Yeah. Be safe. Yeah. So, is there anything else crazy. to learn? Um, I mean, I feel like doctors should be professional. I mean, you know, yeah. I looked at her stuff, and I, I, I don't want to beat Roxy up. I mean, I'm sure, she's a great person, but like, I just her like stuff kind of, I don't know. As being someone that's kind of like in that scene of social media, like I, I just had some issues with her with her videos. There's, um, but there's like this trend on TikTok now to like do these TikToks like when you're at work. There's like, there was this funny uh, TikTok that I saw yesterday of this man making fun of people that make TikToks at work. And so like, he, <laughs> he was like doing. So he's he's like you know, uh, like uh, just redoing people's TikToks. So like he pretends like he's in Starbucks and he like walks in on two girls doing TikToks and it's. The name, the caption of the TikTok is just like, just go to work, <laughs> just do your job. You have to send me stop, that. stop doing TikToks at work. <laughs> I see people doing TikToks and I laugh because like really sometimes funny. that's me. Like we'll go out to dinner. I'm like, oh, I need to like put this on social media. So I'll be like out in front of the restaurant, like taking some pictures or like saying something. People are walking by. I'm like, yeah, this is my life now. Sorry. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> but also, too, the other thing, the last thing, the last thing about her, or last thing to learn. Make sure your doctor listens to you. I had a huge problem when I heard that people were calling her office saying yeah. they had concerns and they told her it was not a big deal or told the patient it was not yeah. a big deal. That's, that's bad. So make sure your doctor listens to you. Yes. And that's it. Dr. Roxy. hope she's okay. I mean, I feel bad for her, but I brought it up. Okay. So I'm going to do a new segment. I, I was thinking of new segments. So this is, this is, um, this is Dr. Herman's story time. Oh. Right. I have a good story to tell, right? And so, if you, I mean, please, if you guys have questions, you know, you too, just ask away. But... So I did have like, well, I mean, I had this like really interesting experience in my life. Okay. Yes. So you, you guys probably don't realize this, but like in the past, like doing a residency in general surgery was like a big deal. Yes. Like it was almost like, like, I don't want to say Navy SEAL training because I don't want to say like this is military type stuff, but it had that kind of vibe to it that. So like prestigious. It was prestigious, but also extremely difficult, <clears throat> yeah. right? So doing general surgery like in the 80s, the 90s, even into the 2000s, which is, I did mine in the early 2000s, it was a big deal. And it was very hard and not everyone could do it. Like not everyone, everyone could get in, not everyone that went in could finish. Like it was very common for, for programs to accept way more uh, resonance than they could actually graduate because they knew that people would get fired or quit. So that was called a pyramidal system where you know, you would be brought in with twice as many people could actually graduate and you're like basically competing to stay. So you got one of those speeches that's like, look around you, only five of you will make it. I mean, they, I mean, they wouldn't even give you the, the courtesy to do that, uh. like, you know, which is kind of like understood. So in the midst of all of that, like I actually went to, I would argue the most notoriously, we called them malignant, but that's just like our doctor word for something that's 
like difficult and hostile program in the country, which, you know, when I say the name of it, if you're not a medical person, you'll be like, what? So I did general surgery at the University of Louisville, which before I got into medical school, I'd never even heard of. You know, I'd heard of Johns Hopkins. I'd heard of, you know, Mass General, you know, Harvard, you know, all of those like really prestigious programs. And they had a reputation for being hard. I'd never heard of Louisville, but, um, but when I got into medical school, you know, in medical school, so medical school is like usually two years of book work. So you're in a classroom and then it's two years of clinicals where like you're actually in the hospital yeah. following around doctors, whether they be attendings, which are graduates or residents, which are in training. And so, you know, I, I knew I wanted to do surgery and, you know, in my surgery rotation, which even as a student, surgery rotations were, were hard. I mean, it's a lot of work hours, you're on call. Um, it's a lot of stress because it's just one of those those professions where they want to weed people out. Like they don't want weak people being surgeons. Right. Like cause you don't want your surgeon like in the middle of surgery like stressing out and like you know having to. Yeah, they need you to be confident. You got to be yeah. confident. You got to be aggressive. And so you know they would try to weed people out. So anyway, so when I was a student, so this is like you know right at right around 2000. I was out at Texas Tech, which is uh, you know they have a good medical school. It's out there in Lubbock and. Um, so when I was going through my surgery rotations, I kept hearing about this program because we'd always talk about, OK, where, where do we want to go for our residency? Because that's kind of a big deal. And I kept hearing about this program called the University of Louisville. And like it was just known as being so hard that, you know, I mean, there were like, I mean, almost like unbelievable things like, oh, like you know, only half the people that go in there finish. And like they've never had a woman graduate from it. and. And I mean, stuff that was just un really untrue, but I mean, it's like, you know, there's got to be some truth in there. And, and it had this program director, Dr. Hiram Polk. He's like probably, I mean, at the time, one of the most famous doctors in the world mm -hmm. because he had run this program for, for literally decades. He was the youngest person to ever be the chairman of a program. So he'd been there like 40 years. And he wrote all these like, you know, really important papers that kind of shaped how we do surgery. And he was known for being just very... I mean, hard, like, mm -hmm. you know, he expected nothing less than perfection. And so um, when I went to apply for residency, you know, I, so my, I met my wife in medical school. We were med students together. So we had to do what's called a couples match, which means not only did we have to match to a program, but our spouse had to match to a program in that vicinity. So because of that, it gets harder to match. And so instead of applying to 10 programs or 15, we applied to 30 programs across the United States because we both had to match at the same place because I didn't want to match in Dallas and she matched in New York City or whatever. Yeah. So one of the places that we that we applied to was Louisville. And it was funny because when I, I so I, I kept in contact with my the, the attending surgeons that I worked with when I was a student. And when I told them that I applied to Louisville, they were like, dude, don't, don't do that. What are you doing? Like, you know, they're going to beat you down. They're going to pick you up and they're beat you down again. Like, you're, you're, you're not going to like that. And I was like, well, you know, I'm just going to go check it out. Like, I heard all these stories, and I was like, you know, I just want to see, you know, I just want to go out there. And, <laughs> and, and honestly, I'd even heard stories about the interview process, that the interview process was malignant. Mm -hmm. Like, it was like a, like a, a hostile interview, which, you know, most of the times when you go to these programs, except for places like, you know, Harvard or Duke or, you know, whatever, like, they want you to want to come there, right? But, but at Louisville, I mean, they were not afraid to scare you. Yeah. And, and so anyway, so the time comes for my interview. And so I, I fly up to Louisville, Louisville Kentucky. And uh, so the night before, you know, they always have this like little like little pre-party. And um, 
So you get to talk to people that are actually in the program, right? And so um, I'm always good at those things. Like I'm good in a social scene. Like I can smooth people. I can, you know, I'm not always like that. Like I can kind of turn it on and off when I want. But like obviously at that point, I'm you know turning on my personality to one. You want to get these people to like you because they do have some input in like who gets into the program, mm -hmm. you know. But like you know, hanging out at a bar and like you know BSing with people. I mean that's my jam. So like there was this guy, he was like an older resident, you know, I think he was like a fourth or fifth year, because it's five years that you spend there. Mm -hmm. Like five years of your life you're committing, at least five years, sometimes it's longer, like if they make you repeat a year or if you have to do research or whatever. And so I, I was talking to this guy, you know, I was like, so, I mean, is it true, like what they say? And he's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, like this program, I mean, I think is the hardest one in the country. You know, it's, it's very demanding, you know, a lot of people don't finish, but, if you leave here, you will be the best trained surgeon in the country. And I was like, you know what? Like that, that kind of intrigues me. Yeah, right? it sounds like something you want to do. That's not, I mean, it's like a challenge, like, you know, to, it's like prestige to say, you know, yeah. that you did it. So like the next day was my interview. And so like, they, they do this thing there. I don't think they could do it anymore because they, they shut it down cause for various reasons. But it was called walk rounds where basically the chairman of the program would take his residents to the surgical ICU and they would have to present these patients, not just to him, but to like about 100 people, like all the attending surgeons, the resident surgeons, like all this big group. And the, the, the resident, which would be a second year resident, had to talk about these patients under like this huge stress because, you know, if you said something wrong, like they would come down on you. Yeah. They would yell at you, they'd tell you're dumb. I mean, this is like, you know, not in the time of today where it's like all huggy-feely, right? Like they would literally come down on you and you could potentially lose your job over it. So like we, we went through that whole thing, which was like, whoa, man, this is like intense. Like I was like, I had never seen anything like this. Like it was, it's like those scenes in a movie where it's like so stressful and you know, the bosses are yelling at everyone. It's just like that. So then you go and you interview with the people that are, you know, the, the surgeons there. And one of the interviews is with a chairman and it was notorious in the interview at Louisville that you didn't just interview with him by yourself. You interviewed with five other applicants. Like a panel. It's like a panel, but no, it's like a reverse panel. Oh. So like you're with the people that are trying like, to get so you're into competing. the you're competing. You're competing in the interview yeah. with the people. And I'd heard, I'd heard That's rumors crazy. of how it was done that he would go down the line and ask <clears throat> each person a question and then he'd go back down the line and you'd have to ask him a question. And it was true, like everything I heard was true about that. So there's me, so this chairman, famous guy, famous surgeon, like, you know, still to this day, if he called me, I would like, I'd, shiver. I would shiver a bit, you know, <laughs> he is still alive. He's older, but he's still alive. Um, so he go down the line and he's like asking questions. And so like, you don't know what he's gonna ask you, right? So like he, he asks you one question. And so I, to be honest, I don't remember what he asked me. But I remember that I did okay, you know, he asked me something, I was like, okay, I got that. So then he goes back down the line and he's like, okay, you asked me a question. So the girl sitting like two down for me, asked him a question and he, I'll never forget this. He literally goes, that is the stupidest question I have heard all day. How could you ask me that? I was just like, oh my God, how do you recover from that? <laughs> how do you recover? So, and then the whole time I'm also hoping that like no one asked the question. Did she cry? I didn't, not there, I don't think, but like, you know, I mean, it was extremely uncomfortable. And he so, destroyed her in front of everybody? Dude, he just wrecked, I mean, he wrecked her <laughs> in front crazy. of everyone. And so he gets to me, and so my question was actually about, there were whispers at that time that residency programs might be regulated to cut back on, on hours, you mm -hmm. know? And I don't know if you guys know this, but nowadays, if you're a resident doctor, you know, in training, you can't work more than 80 hours. It's against the law. 
because there was an episode where a resident did something wrong, a patient died, and his, his you know, not excuse, but his reasoning was, I, I had worked Overworked. 90 hours that week, 100 hours. I didn't know what I was doing. I was too I tired. I mean, it has some truth to it. There is some truth to it. I mean, then that's a whole conversation about the eight-hour work week. But at the time, there was no regulation, but there was whispers of it. And so I asked him, and I'll, I won't forget this. I said, you know, to be a surgeon, you have to have this intense training. Like, how do you feel that if the government regulates residencies, that you're going to be able to adequately train the residents in a given time frame of five years? Which honestly is a really good question. Like, I mean, I, you know, I'm not a stupid person. I, I think about these things before I go in there. And he really liked that. Like, he, you know, he thought that was a good question. He was like, oh, that's a great question. And he went into this thing. I don't remember what he said. I was just like, oh my God, thank God he didn't you were yell just at me. So relieved. I was just like, you were like, I'm like oh. sweating bullets here, man. And like, he's like, okay, good. So anyway, so I leave the, I leave the, I leave the, um, you know, the place. And like, I'm going to be super honest. Like, I was a good applicant. But I wasn't a phenomenal applicant as a med student. I, I, I breezed through college. Like, I, I really did. I partied a lot. I made, like, almost all A's. But when I got to med school, I got spanked. My first semester, I did super bad. So, like, I was recovering my GPA, like, the whole rest of my four years. And I did. So, like, when I was applying, I was, like, in the top 25% of my class. But I wasn't, like, top 10% or top 5 or anything. And so, realistically, I didn't think I had a chance to get in that program. I just, I just like, you know... Like they, I'm not. They saw something in you. They saw something in me because so match day comes along. So on match day, um, what happens is they get all the med students in one area, and they, you get a letter, and the letter has the the name of the program that you're accepted to. And so I remember we ended up ranking Louisville third. Um, we we had two programs we actually rotated through that we liked, and uh, we ranked one and two, uh, and then for three we we put Louisville. And we ended up ranking like 30 places, you know, because we, like, once again, couples matched hard. So I remember opening my letter and I saw University of Louisville and like, I was like, oh my God, what did I do? Like, I like literally like kind of, I didn't have like a panic attack, but I was just like, I can't believe I, I signed up for this. Like my stomach just dropped and like, I mean, even thinking about it, like kind of gives me the chills, right? And um, so I, I was like, okay, I can do this. And then, so I went and told my attendings and uh, I was like, I got accepted to Louisville. No one from my program had been accepted there ever. Like, I was the first one from Texas Tech. And they were like, you are so stupid. Like, they literally told me, it's like, you are so stupid. Why would you do that? They're going to chew you up. They're going to spit you out. And you're going to be back here in six months doing family practice. And I was like, I can do this. I can do it. And so that's where I'm going to end the story. Until that's awesome, Until the next though. time. Yeah. So I'm going I'm to keep the story going because the experience was, like, unbelievable. Like, I've always thought about writing a book about it because it was just a really weird time because it was still the time where they could like, you know, beat you to death, but like times were starting to change, you know, which was yeah. mentally just abuse. Yeah. Yeah. There. And so, yeah, so I, I was the end of my fourth year med student. And uh, so me and my wife moved on to Louisville. So sometime I'm going to well, catch I up with the story. I can see why you were describing it as a boot camp type situation. Yeah. Well, and the, and the thing was, is like, you know, well, and I'll talk about it when we get into the next the next little episode of the story time but i mean it was it was Sorry, brutal sorry. like i mean you know i i had i had months where i worked average 110 hours a week i mean that was like a thing you know well, and it's like how it. do you even work how do you even work that much but i mean you can do it and I'll, I'll talk about my intern year some other time 
That's crazy. Next time you say story time, he needs to change this to like a, a fireplace. <laughs> story. Yeah, can you do that, Travis? <laughs> we can make it happen. All right, story time next time. But anyway, so I tell people that. Sometimes people find it interesting, like, because that kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore. It's different. Like, everything's changed now. And so those kind of experiences, like, don't happen anymore. But No. All right. It'll be well, I think it's about time we wrap it up. Uh, everyone, thanks so much. Look forward to starting next. Next week will be our Christmas episode, I guess. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next week. Nip Talk. Have a good one.